Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It's powered by Twisted Tea. Today, we've got LB's Greg on to make his NFL picks as another edition of Fresh Cuts is back. But first, we're going to get to some uh, two-lane thoughts, little solo pod action. Hasn't done, haven't done one of those in a while, but wrote down some things that I'm looking for on Saturday to get you prepped for the game. So buckle up. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Before we get to that, though, I want to take a quick break to remind you. Podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. Time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99% uptime. Seaspire also provides pr- prides themselves with the best customer service in the in-home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning, local, based out of the Southeast with industry low-call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the Southern Alabama region. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today and use promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. So if you're signing up for internet right now just for listening to this podcast, you get your first month free just by typing in that promo code RIPPY. Check them out, Cspire, customer inspired. Podcast is also brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. Rent the Sip Oxford's Turnberry unit will sleep eight comfortably. It's gated. It offers amenities such as tennis courts a spa, a pool, and it's right there less than a mile from the Ole Miss campus off of Old Taylor Road. Please go take advantage of this deal. The Vandy football weekend is still available. Everything else football weekend is booked up, but Vandy football weekend is still available. And then, of course, any other time, Thanksgiving holidays, maybe coming up for basketball games this year. Go ahead and book your stay at rentthesipoxford.com. Right there off Old Taylor Road, Bracken Ray, great guy, friend of the pod, would not steer you the wrong way. It can be tough to find a place to stay on busy weekends in Oxford. Maybe you don't want to deal with the hotel and get a more at-home feeling environment. This is exactly what you're getting in rentthesipoxford.com. Check out their turn barrier unit today. Go online to rentthesipoxford.com and check availabilities. And then when you check out, use the promo code RIPPYWRITES for 100 bucks off any two-night minimum. Check them out, rentthesipoxford.com, a great place to stay, a tremendous location that you should take advantage of today. All right, before we get to LB's Greg and our NFL picks, let's do a little solo pod action for a second. I have not done that in a while. Let's talk about this game on Saturday. Road test for Ole Miss, top 25 matchup, sold-out stadium, probably a lot of Ole Miss fans in there. This is going to be a fascinating game in which I think we learn a lot about Ole Miss. I think this is a more-than-fair test for Ole Miss. None of this is breaking news. But I think this game has gotten more intriguing to me as the week has gone on as I've dug into it. I've mentioned a couple of times on the show before that there was a point throughout the summer that I thought, hey, is Georgia Tech actually going to be a little bit tougher than Tulane as far as difficulty in the early schedule for Ole Miss because of what Tulane lost off its Cotton Bowl team? And as the game's gotten closer and I've gotten kind of more in tune with what Tulane is and I'm finally seeing Ole Miss for the first time, uh, I'm definitely walking that one back. I was just testing it out on the runway, wasn't fully committed to it, but uh, that's definitely not going to be the case. This will be the toughest test of the two for Ole Miss. Why is that going to be the case? Well, week one, what did Tulane do? They won 37-17 to against a South Alabama team that won 10 games a year ago and returned at 19 of 22 starters. South Alabama was an absolute drag-out, knockout, low-scoring loss to Troy away 
from winning the Sun Belt Western Division and playing for the Sun Belt Conference title game. Troy wins that game 10-6 to in Mobile. They represent the division in the conference championship game, and South Alabama does not. Why is that relevant? Well, that's a pretty damn close game. Could have gone either way. And if you take a look back at last year, Troy was Ole Miss' best win. At least statistically, they were the only team that Ole Miss beat that finished the year in the top 25. Kind of crazy to think about with the way last year played out, but I think in a lot of senses, it's absolutely the case. So point being, Tulane handled a very good South Alabama team that brought back most of what it had the year before when it won 10 games. Kane Womack doing a pretty damn good job down there, as is former Ole Miss assistant John Sumrall at Troy. Neither here nor there for now, but what did Tulane do to win that game? Well, other than South Alabama having an early turnover that really just kind of put them behind the eight ball and a couple of really just kind of boneheaded mistakes that seemed to come at incredibly crucial times in the game, they couldn't cover Tulane. Tulane threw all over them. Pratt was 14 of 15. For 294 yards and four touchdowns before he exited the game midway through the fourth quarter because someone rolled up on his leg. We'll get to more of that in a second. But South Alabama couldn't cover them. Michael Pratt's average completion was about it was at 19.6 yards. Tulane pushed the ball down the field with relative ease on South Alabama and really just picked on their secondary. Tulane, from its 2022 Cotton Bowl team, if you listened to the podcast earlier this week with Jerry Smith, who covers Tulane for both the newspaper and the rival site down there, Tulane lost its top two pass catchers off last year's team. They also lost an all-timer of a running back in Tajay Spears. So that probably filled into my earlier point about, hey, given what Tulane lost, is this actually going to be a tougher game than Georgia Tech that don't miss? That's kind of what you thought on the surface when you're reading you know, season previews and seeing what they bring back and what they lost. But in a lot of senses, Tulane's not really a ton worse off than they were a year ago. Let's start with the passing game and pass catchers. Tulane loses its top two pass catchers from a season ago in Shea Wyatt and Deuce Watts. You think, hmm, lose your top two pass catchers. Kind of like Ole Miss did, right? With Malik Heath and Jonathan Mingo. But it's not really as big of a drop-off if you actually take a look with how the football was dispersed uh, across the pass-catching realm for Tulane last year. Shea Wyatt led the team in receptions and yards, 35 receptions for 692 yards. Deuce Watts, second, 33 receptions, 657 yards. But tied with him in receptions is a guy named Jaquan Jackson, who you're going to see a lot of on Saturday, also had 33 receptions for 554 yards. And Lawrence Keyes, who you will again see a lot of Saturday uh, more as a traditional receiver, you'll see Jackson do a bunch of different stuff. They use him in the run game some as well. But anyway, Keys caught 30 passes for 296 yards. Tulane had five players catch 25 or more passes last year, and all five of them were within 10 receptions of each other. Four of them caught 30 or more and were all within five receptions of one another. So you get the point. Yes, they did technically lose their top two pass catchers, but there's not a huge drop off between those two and Jackson and Keys that you're going to see on Saturday. Keys. And Jackson are also two experienced guys that have played a decent bit of football. Throw in a true freshman, Brazel, in there. Uh, I think a kid from West Texas that was used early on in the season opener a decent bit. And they've still got a pretty deep and talented receiving court. So I don't think the drop-off is going to be very much at all. Both older guys played a decent bit of football, know what they're doing, and are familiar with this offense, and they're catching passes from a veteran quarterback. So why is that relevant to Ole Miss, other than the fact that they're playing Tulane? Because what was the biggest question mark coming into the Ole Miss this year defensively? I guess you could make a couple different arguments, but for me, it was the secondary. It was DeAndre Prince at corner. You know you bring back Trey Washington and 
Ishim Young and Ladarius Tennyson. But then there was that whole thing where Tennyson was moved to linebacker during camp. Point being, it was Prince and who at corner? Well, now it looks like Zamari Walton, and he looked like a long athletic body that's going to be a nice compliment on the other side of Prince. I thought he looked really good in the first week. One of the few takeaways you could have from the first week. So outside of that, it's going to be a bunch of new guys, right? You saw, saw a lot of John Saunders last week. You saw some Tasia Young. You saw some Dijon Gaddy. Dijon Anthony had a pick, I believe. A lot of new guys that have not really been tested yet. And for what was thought to be the biggest concern on the defense entering the season, this is one hell of a test in your second week. Let's talk about last week for just a quick second. What could you actually learn from Ole Miss's 70-3-7 win last week? My thing is, not a whole lot. I thought the offense looked pretty damn strong and has the ability to be pretty explosive. I thought the defense, other than that one play, did fine. But there was concern, and I kind of saw a little bit of this too. Far smarter football minds than me have opined on this as well, that they thought Ole Miss defense looked a little slow. But I don't know necessarily what to make of that because you got two big body linebackers in Montgomery and Gene Baptiste in their first game as Ole Miss Rebels. And then you got Sistrunk and Coleman who are playing their first game under Pete Golding's scheme against an offense with a lot of smoke and mirrors and window dressing type stuff pre-snap that can be a little bit tricky to deal with. Hence the uh, mistake to open the game where the kid runs 70 yards down the field. I don't necessarily buy into the theory that because no one caught that quarterback that the entire defense is slow. I just think they were caught in the bust and just couldn't catch up to him. But I also saw some of all where if you do think Ole Miss is a little bit slow, I could see how you could think that based off that game. I just am not sure if I can draw any strong conclusions off of that game. So if you're slow on the back end and you're facing a capable, fast receiving core with an accurate quarterback, boy, is that going to be a test. And I'm curious to see how Ole Miss holds up against Tulane's receiving core against a veteran quarterback who is uh, probably, well, definitely going to play. It seems like I'm curious about how limited he is. We'll get to that piece of it in a second. So if Ole Miss does hold up pretty well in the secondary in this game and Tulane's not able to throw the ball with consistent success, does that nullify the idea that Ole Miss defense is slow? I don't know. I guess it depends how it looks, but it would certainly give credence to the fact that, hey, they might be okay in the secondary and they're not as slow as it looked. So to dovetail a bit off of that first thing I'm looking forward to the second one, and this is not any earth-shattering thing here, the pass rush. Michael Pratt, mobile quarterback. He's a guy that's run, ran 129 times last year and 104 times as a freshman. His legs are a big part of the two-lane offense. He got his leg rolled up on midway through the fourth quarter in the win over South Alabama. Exited the game, did not return. Sounds like he's going to play, but how limited is he? How mobile is he? Is that something that Ole Miss can take away just because he's not his full range of motion as far as leg-wise? You get the point. How banged up is he? But the other thing I'm looking for is the pass rush. Ole Miss, Cedric Johnson, probably the most, definitely the most established pass rusher on the team, was used in a variety of different ways last week, which is something that I thought was pretty interesting to watch as the game unfolded. We talked about Cedric Johnson in 2021 being the Robin to Sam Williams Batman, and boy, did it make for a pretty damn good pass rush, particularly toward the end of the year. What does that shape out to this year? Does... Cedric Johnson, assuming he's healthy, become that level of a Batman and they kind of find a Rob. Can they find a Robin on the other side of him? Or is that just not how it's going to shake out schematically? Because the thing that's interesting to me about Ole Miss up front is, and I wrote in the newsletter about this last week, they have a lot of big body guys and it seems like they trust more guys to play and will rotate more this year uh, between the newcomers, you know, Xavier Harris, Stefan Wynn, Josh Harris. Isaac Uku in there, Jared Ivey back. You get the point. J.J. Pegues, all those guys, I think they trust to play. 
But not a lot of those guys, at least from what you see in the first game, are true pass rushers, right? You have the true, you know, nose tackles, interior guys in Xavier Harris and Josh Harris, big bodied guys as well. Jared Ivey just seems to be a very solid defensive lineman that they kind of move around, but doesn't seem like a true pass rusher. Not saying he can't emerge into one. That's actually the very question I'm asking. Who's going to become that established third down pass rusher? And what would that pass rush on third and obvious? Like, what does that group look like? Who do they bring into the game for the third and long package to go get after the quarterback and make sure he doesn't have a ton of time to throw? I'm fascinated to see what that looks like. Why would the pass rush be important? Well, again, groundbreaking football analysis here. It it allows the secondary to not have to cover as long and the quarterback to be less comfortable. And if you flush him out of the pocket, he's more prone to mistakes and doesn't have enough time to look through all of his progressions downfield. Thanks for taking this football one-on-one seminar. But in all seriousness... If Ole Miss is not able to develop a pretty consistent pass rush and they have you know, so many new faces and an uncertainty on the back end of the secondary against a good receiving core, that sounds like it might make for a long day at the office. So again, I'm very curious to see how that piece of it holds up as well. Third thing, how much of a role does Centarian Perkins play? We talked about team speed on defense. I think Centarian Perkins, the way he hit the hole a couple of different times, can probably be excluded from that discussion. I'm going to say he's pretty quick and is going to be one hell of an SEC linebacker. How much do they ask him to do early on in the year? And how much is he comfortable doing as a true freshman? I think he's going to play a ton more snaps in this game than he did last week. And I think as the years goes on, Ole Miss is going to realize, hey, we have to keep this kid on the field as often as humanly possible. So that's another thing I'm going to keep an eye on as well. And then lastly, Tulane lost Spears as a running back last year and is seemingly trying to figure it out by committee this year. I think they played five different running backs with some regularity in the win last week. And then you add in Michael Pratt as a six ball carrier. They're very much still trying to figure it out. It doesn't, it's too early to tell if there's a drop off from Spears in the running game last year that helped lead them to a Cotton Bowl win over USC. But I'm just curious, do any of those guys share the explosiveness that Spears had? And is there actually going to be some drop off there? And how much consistency will they? consistent success rather will they have running the football against an Ole Miss defensive line that will at least seemingly rotate more than they did a year ago so that's what I'm looking for defensively I think that's probably going to be the most fascinating of the subplots of the game is everything we just covered when Ole Miss is on defense and Tulane is on offense why do I think that's more interesting because I think Ole Miss is going to score I don't really think there's much of a world where the offense struggles and Tulane bottles up Ole Miss uh, offense or defensively from Tulane's vantage point to where Ole Miss is struggling to get to 25, 30 points. I just don't really see that being the case. Tulane is without its best linebacker, Corey Platt, not to be confused with quarterback Michael Platt. Pratt, excuse me. Ah, that's confusing myself. So when you going back to having Jerry Smith on the show, which you can listen to uh, dropped on Thursday, he was very concerned about this. He made it sound like that the absence of Platt at linebacker for Tulane swayed his pick. He was initially sounded like he was, you know, toying with the idea of Tulane winning the game outright. But with Platt, who had an Achilles injury last week, who has been ruled out for this week, I read earlier this morning, and I'm not sure that's a short-term thing. I hope for the kids' sake it is, but I've rarely heard of very few Achilles injuries where it's a two, three-week thing. But he played 13 games last year, 25 tackles, two sacks, a capital loss, and an interception, and was really turning into a leader and a star on that two-lane defense, and he is out for this game. 
We also talked about on Thursday difference between group of five schools and power of five schools. Well, it's depth across the board. It's talent top to bottom, right? Tulane's top end guys, Ole Miss's top end guys, or pick any other SEC school can be comparable. If you talk about one of the better teams in the American Conference versus, you know, a middling SEC team, it's pretty comparable. Depth, not the same. So can Tulane withstand a blow like that? Jerry Smith didn't seem to think so. And hell, I defer to him. He knows better than me. So what does that mean for the Ole Miss offense and how much success will they have running the football? They pretty much had success on running the ball on everybody in Tulane and Lane Kiffin's tenure at Ole Miss. So I guess the better way to ask this is how heavily do they rely on Judkins? How often does Ole Miss go to the ground game? How involved is Jackson Dart in it? And what is the carries disbursement like, particularly during the year when you have Quinchon Judkins, but with no Zach Evans behind him? Do you get Ulysses Bentley involved? Does Jam Griffin see a little bit more time? Do you see the first appearance of Riscano? I don't know the answer to any of these questions, but I'm certainly going to be watching for it on Saturday because I do think Ole Miss will have a lot of success running the football against Tulane. I'm just curious who will be doing the majority of it, of course, behind Quinchon Judkins and how much they lean on Judkins. And then lastly, it's similar to what we talked about earlier in the week. Trey Harris looked apart. I mean, guy had like three touchdowns in 90 seconds or something <laughs> nuts in week one, but he looked like a veteran, potentially dominant outside wide receiver that Ole Miss outside of Jonathan Mingo when he was healthy, just hasn't had the last couple of years. But who else is there? I don't think you're going to see Caden Priestcorn in this game. Who knows what to make of Michael Trigg? And then the other side is, you know, Dayton Wade, your Watkins of the world. Who is the second pass catching option and how much success does Ole Miss have going to them outside of Trey Harris, who I think will be a pretty disastrous matchup nightmare for Tulane. So what does this all equate to? I think Ole Miss wins the game. I would pick them. I saw the lines at like seven and a half now. You'll hear me and Greg talk about it here in a second later. I'd feel more comfortable doing that if I knew more about the Ole Miss defense because I could see this being a 41-34 game and Ole Miss is glad to get the hell out of New Orleans at the win against a good Tulane offense. But I could also see a world where this is too much of a step up in competition for Tulane. The Ole Miss defense holds up better than maybe some think, and it's a 40-24 to type game. So I'm going to lean with the closer game and say Ole Miss wins by six points or so and gets out of there with the win. But, you know, if you're making me rank the surprising outcomes, it would be, one, Tulane winning the game would be the most surprising. Second would be Ole Miss blowing the doors off them, winning by three scores. And then the least surprising was what I think is going to happen is Ole Miss wins a close one and comes back to prepare for Georgia Tech and then Alabama. Regardless, I think we're going to learn a lot more out of the, about this team in the next four quarters than we did in the previous four quarters, and I am fascinated to watch it. All right, before we get to LB's Greg, I'm going to take a quick break to remind you. Your podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorable punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up at any occasion, especially if you're cheering on your favorite team whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot watching at a bar or hosting friends at home twisted tea is there to elevate your game day experience it perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments so let's toast to an unforgettable game day experience twisted tea the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football keep it twisted 
podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Can't wait to see the week one college football results from Skybox. Hope you hopped on that and took advantage of it. You can go online today, skyboxsportspicks.com. Check out a picks package in your price range, whether it's college, NFL, still crushing on Skybox NASCAR. You can try it for a day, a week, a month, whatever you want to do. I recommend going with the year-long all-access pass. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. They'll email you you, your picks in a color-coded spreadsheet, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, for 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Hopefully you threw something from LB's on the grill this weekend and enjoyed watching Ole Miss win its first game of the season. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now it's three, six-ounce bacon-wrapped fillets for 20 bucks. Just go in there, show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you signed up. And then go find all your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of sausages. I like the tri-tips. The filet burgers are delicious. Go find your own favorites at LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Here's LB's Greg with the picks. All right, we now welcome on the man himself, the meat Greg the Meat Sharp Jones. It is another edition of Fresh Cuts brought to you by LB's and Skybox Sports Picks. We are back. It's another year of the NFL season, but uh, first we do have some business to take care of. You had been texting me the last day or two with some updates on our guide. There is some trouble in the horse racing land. <laughs> Give me an update on Bob Baffert. Yeah, uh, that's not looking good, man. The autopsy came back on having a meltdown, which is one of the horses that broke down the Preakness weekend. And uh, it's not looking good for old Bobby B. So, uh, yeah, you might uh, you might not see the – the blue sh- uh blue um blue glasses uh at a, a local racetrack near you uh anytime soon. So take me through what is actually happening there. The way you described it to me via text is he's essentially doing the Bud Kilmer from Varsity. Yes, yeah, so I was literally about to say that. I was like, we all know the movie. Um, what is it, Varsity Blues? Yeah. So it's just basically like that. It's just uh, – and, you know, honestly, you know, the the quarterback, he was like, look, just do it. That's fine. Because, like – but, you know, I don't know if the horse would say, hey, let's do it. But, like, the horse was born and bred to run. So they literally have that quarterback mentality where, like, hey, I'm good. I'm, I'm ready to go. So – but uh, we'll never know because, you know, horses don't, you know, have human feelings and stuff like that. So – um, yeah, man, it's just a tough situation, you know, but um, that's what's crazy is people keep sending, you know, horses to them. So I don't know, man, but yeah, so no, it's, uh, it's that crazy. actually sounds like the problem, though, because if actually it's probably been a while since you've seen the movie, it's what happened was it was with that running back and the backup quarterback who became the starter that the coach hated for various reasons. Was well, like, it was a starting hey, put that needle in your leg. It sounds like there needs to be someone playing the role of the quarterback, and it sounds like for years no one's done that. You mentioned just a second ago the amazing thing that people keep sending horses to Baffert. It sounds like people don't care. Yeah, well, I mean, when you have a million-dollar insurance policy on a million-dollar horse, like, you know, what's there to lose? You know, why not take a shot and throw them to the deep end with Baffert, and you might win the Kentucky Derby. I I just don't like that concept. That's I don't me. either. And not to go full, you know, social media PETA on folks, but like if we were doing that with humans, uh, I think people would be going to jail. 
Oh yeah, I mean, like, I mean, there's, I mean, it's animal cruelty. I mean, think about Mike, the Mike Vick situation. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know? <laughs> and he actually did um, go to prison. I mean, he did. So it is what it is, and it's it's a t- and, and you know, and it's um, it's been going on in the horse industry for a hot minute, like, but. It is what it is, but um, yeah, he's he's in trouble. But so yeah, that's basically what. Whenever I was saying to you, like basically, if Jackson Dart was like, "Hey man, I'm hurt. Like I don't think I can go," then he like because he has own feelings and everything. Like the horse is just, you know, like I said, born and it's just like a greyhound. You think of a greyhound, like they're like, "Oh, the dogs are so," you know, no, that dog wants to run. He doesn't want to sit in the living room and watch TV and, you know, and eat snacks, you know, like he wants to run. So, you know, it's just tough because, you know, they're animals, but you, you want to take care of them first. And uh, obviously Bob Baffert's definitely not taking care of his animals. So is there an overall governing body that. Yes. They just came out with, it's called HISA, H I S A and the government's getting involved. So. Do they just um, not want to ban him because he's such a big figure and he's successful? How has he not gotten the boot? Yeah, I would think so. There's, I think that would be something uh, that would be, I mean, um, he's such a high profile. I mean, he's won the most Kentucky Derbies. You know, he's one of the most highly touted, you know, uh, faces in the sport. But, I mean, you know, like, um, you, I remember you sent me a picture at Oakline and it was him and the guy standing, you know, just a random guy standing next to him. Um, that guy's name is Jimmy Barnes. His, that's his assistant trainer. So, Whenever uh, you see Jimmy Barnes, uh, that's when you bet on Bob's horses because uh, Jimmy Barnes is, uh, you know, is the guy that's in charge of the, uh, 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 what would I say, the uh, the chemicals. I mean, just let's be point blank about it, uh, the chemicals. So He's the uh, guy that gets the baseball player the actual roids in spring training from the Correct. Doc. I mean, you know, and uh, uh, one of my trainers, it's uh, it was just at Santa Anita, uh, Clocker's Corner, so. All the uh, trainers, after the horses have worked out, they go to the clocker's corner, get coffee, or that sort of thing. And so my trainer was like, Jimmy, it looks like your boy got away with another one. And, uh, you know, some words were exchanged, and then they end up wrestling on the ground. And, Ooh. you know, it's just like, yeah, it's just like 50-year-old men wrestling around. I mean, it's just, it's a big deal. I mean, like, Richie's a good trainer. He's a clean trainer. And he's, I mean, he doesn't even run dirt horses two-year-old dirt horses just because of he has to run against Bafford and he knows what Bafford's doing. So like, why would he waste his time? And why would he waste his owners, you know, money to be like, Hey, let's get a dirt horse and win at Santa Anita, you know, made in special, but well, we're going to be running into Bafford in the, in the chic. So, um, I mean, that's going to be a tough, we'll have to find a really good horse. So that's, you know, so you're a horseman yourself when you're in these settings and Baffert walks in the room, whether it's at a race or a sale or something, wherever, I know he's just a trainer, but just whatever on the scene at the track, do people just collectively roll their eyes? They're like, Jesus, this guy's back. Yeah, I, I get them. I mean, as only a couple of years into it, like, I, I, I mean, it, it's it just, it is what it is, man. I just, uh, I will see how that, you know, how the September sales, uh, people react after, you know, these autopsies are coming out and everything. I mean, the horse had worms. Like, like I, sent, I think I sent you the tweet that even 4-H kids know how to properly take care of a horse that, you know, whenever, you know. So, I mean, this is a million-dollar horse running in, you know, G1, you know, half-million-dollar, million-dollar races. 
and the horse had worms and no cartilage on his bones. So it was a basically like a bone on bone action that he would inject him 14 days before the race. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot, but yeah, you can go down a huge rabbit hole with this thing, but uh, I, obviously I don't think people are uh, wanting, uh, listening to the podcast want to hear about Bob Baffert, but uh, we just, we just have to mention it because it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Very I wanted crazy. to hear about it. That's why we had with the top. <laughs> last thing on this, where does this guy live? Can we send him poop in the mail? Where, where's he? <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, it's just. Um, and you were, you were, you said like, how is this guy still? And I go, I, I, you know, I, I just wish I could answer that, but I don't know how he's still getting horses. I mean, it's it's wild, man. It's it's pretty crazy, but it's. Um, Anyway, it's uh, where does he live? Actually, not not a literal address. I think like, he's you know in California. He's California based, so he's he trains out of uh, Santa Anita and uh, Del Mar. So he's a California guy. So uh, yeah, I'm pr- uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he has a, a million dollar house and no worries in the world. I'm sure he does not. Great hair, but sworn enemy of this podcast. And uh, until further notice, this is still an anti Bob Baffert show. Let's get on to the picks. We're going to focus mostly on the NFL this year. We've got some free plays from Skybox coming at the end of the podcast, so stick with us to the end if you want to cash in on some real winners, or uh, you can listen to us and not. But I'll hit a couple high points in the college game, uh, or excuse me, in college football. That sounded weird. Was a couple of college games. Other than Texas-Alabama and Ole Miss-Tulane, it's not really – there's a couple intriguing games this weekend that I, I have yet to mention – but there aren't any like marquee matchups. Like it's a very interesting weekend. Like Auburn Cal, that's intriguing, but it's clearly not a marquee matchup. There's a lot of those this weekend to where, but outside of Texas, Alabama, Ole Miss Tulane is kind of the only show in town. It really, unless you want to talk yourself into A and M Miami being a cool thing. But with the college games, real real quick, just the very high level ones. I'm showing Texas plus seven and a half. I've seen it seven elsewhere. At Alabama, I figured this would fluctuate a bunch, but it really hasn't at all. I don't know what this tells us about anything. I feel like a sucker for taking Texas, but uh, I kind of want to. What are your thoughts on this? Man, I'm just got I got to roll with the tide. I, I just Bryant Denny at home. I mean, you know, stadium. Uh, is it an afternoon or night game? It is a night game, so it will be at yeah. I believe six o'clock Central Time. And it's one of those things. Quinn Ewers is probably the better quarterback in this game. But if you looked at this, there's this whole narrative of uncertainty around Alabama and, you know, they don't have a Bryce Young or a Tua to save them. But if you look at the recruiting classes, they've stacked up. They're not a non-talented roster. They're a ridiculously talented roster. I think this turns into Alabama becoming like a pre-2015 Alabama where it's a lot of run, a lot of run, just overpowering folks and having a game manager at quarterback. And I think you kind of get a vintage Saban team. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to agree with you on that. I mean, I think it's going to be a good game. It could come down to a field goal. Um, you know, I know Texas had them on the ropes last year, and, uh, you know, they probably should have won the game if the if UNC didn't go down. But, um, you know, uh, you, you can't you can't not doubt the, uh, the tide at home. I, that's, that's my angle for it. That's probably the play. I guess my official position on this, I did it in Neil's picks. I took Texas. I will. But I think you're probably right on the right side of it just because – like, I also don't buy into the they're going to send them an S- a message about, you know, welcoming them to the SEC. It's like I heard that last year, and that game was close because Alabama was a mess. And I don't think Alabama is going to be and that was a, And it was like a two, t- two or three touchdown spread, right? 
Yes, it was. It was like 21 points. And if Ewers yeah. doesn't get hurt in that game, Texas probably wins it. And if Bryce Young, honestly, even without Ewers, was not just an absolute magician in the last six minutes of that game, they probably win it. Obviously, different story in Tuscaloosa. I don't pretend to know a ton about Texas yet. Haven't really watched them play. But that's going to be a fascinating one to kind of get a feel for what those teams are like. Uh, the only other one, I mean, I'll, we'll go Tulane Ole Miss. We're just going to do it on here. This has moved a lot. So as I'm showing it right now here on a Thursday evening, I saw Chase put out a tweet or X, whatever the hell you want to call that these days, on Sunday morning, as he most always does. He gets uh, the earliest line possible for college football somewhere, and Ole Miss Open is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. It is now seven-and-a-half. Now, that's a little – that's a little too much for me to to. That's a little more. What's the expression? That might I mean, have been more than is Tulane's quarterback out. Is Tulane's quarterback out? No. What's happening? So I think that could be it. But I think what what happened is is Michael Pratt's going to play. Who's Tulane's quarterback? I talked to a Tulane beat writer last night. Their best linebacker is out. He had an Achilles injury, and while Tulane doesn't disclose injuries, most rational people think that there's zero shot that he plays, uh, particularly this weekend, but probably not again this year. When's the last time you heard of an Achilles issue being a short-term problem? Apparently, he is such a difference maker for that team, and they don't really have the depth behind him, that it seems like the fear from the Tulane standpoint is that Ole Miss just runs wild on them, and I think that's probably what's influencing this line. But in fairness, you probably the, the men in the desert probably knew on Sunday – that he, this kid wasn't going to play, particularly if it's a, uh, particularly if it's a linebacker injury. His name is Corey Platt, not to be confused with Michael Platt. By the way, I was blanking on that. So I don't know what to make of this, but a four-point movement is kind of absurd. I think Ole Miss wins by two or three touchdowns. Honestly, I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. Of course, like you know, I'm very optimistic, and I'm not trying to you know drink the red and blue Kool-Aid, but. Jackson Dart looked really good and a lot proved from last year. And, you know, Judkins is probably going to Judkins. And losing that linebacker is probably a big deal. I mean, I, I can't see why we can't win by two or three touchdowns. I just can't go there yet because I need to see a little bit more from the defense. Because make no mistake about it, even with the beat-up Michael Pratt at quarterback, Tulane is a very good offense. They have a very good receiving core. They lost a generational running back in Spears, but are still very solid there. The only reason I can't go there yet is because I don't know what to make of this Ole Miss defense. There's been a lot of debate on our message board about, I think uh, our guy Siski mentioned how slow the Ole Miss defense was. It's someone who doesn't pretend to be a schematic expert. I did somewhat notice that, particularly on the back end. But again, it's Mercer. Who the hell knows? So I can't get there Ole Miss covering more than a touchdown spread um, because of the defense. But if this makes any sense at all, if you're making me rank the most logical outcomes and the three outcomes are Ole Miss wins a close one and doesn't cover, Ole Miss wins by two to three touchdowns like you said, or Tulane wins the game, to me it's close one one, Ole Miss wins by two or three touchdowns two, and the most shocking outcome would be Tulane winning the game. So I'm still – I like Ole Miss in this game. I just think it could turn into a shootout – if the defense is not necessarily what we thought they were at this point in the year, if that makes any sense at all. Well, I mean, I just think, uh, you know, if you put some pressure on the quarterback immediately and, you know, bring some blitzes and make him some, make some decisions, you know, quick decisions, maybe you can get him out of rhythm. But um, I mean, you got to get on this guy early and often if he's got a uh, kind of a bum ankle. 
Yeah, and it's going to be a fascinating game. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. You know, there was a time, and I think I mentioned this on the show with Weldon on Sunday or Monday, whenever we did that, about like I, there was a time where I kind of thought like, hey, is Georgia Tech actually going to be a little bit of a tougher game than old uh, Tulane? But given how Tulane played last week, I'm obviously very, very much walking that one back. I was just, you know, testing it out, put it on the runway, didn't fully take off with that one. Uh, I'm very much against that now. I think this is going to be a tough test for Ole Miss. I do think they win the game, and I'm fascinated to watch it. I guess we'll just hit the other major college game. It is A&M in Miami. Um, again, to reference my buddy Weldon on the Sunday show, he is all over A&M on this, and it's not a pro A&M play. He is absolutely in the camp if he thinks Mario Cristobal is the most overrated coach of all time and that Miami's actually just not very good and Cristobal is not very good. This is now just a four-point line. A&M is a four-point favorite. Weldon described this as the lock of the century. <laughs> Do you agree, disagree? I don't know what to make of it. I tend to think his logic's okay, but I'm certainly not that strongly convinced. I hate the L word. I hate – I'm not a big fan of the L word. I mean, you know, when when that gets thrown around, it, it doesn't matter how bad or how worse the team is they're playing – the lock, the lock word just drives me crazy. So, I mean, I actually like Miami just because it just, I just feels like, it just feels like something, you know, that the Jimbo Fisher, you know, who's the offensive coordinator? Uh, Bobby Petrino. Yeah, I just feel like they just, they, they, uh, they probably can't ever, they probably won't or ever get on the same page. So, um, I don't know why you hire Bobby Petrino whenever it's basically two head coaches. Uh, you know, so. I'm going to roll with my uh, Miami for some strange, odd reason. Okay. And I realized I never made a pick on the Ole Miss game. I'm going to tentatively go with Tulane if it stays at seven and a half. I don't feel great about that, but I do think Ole Miss wins the game. I'll go A&M here and go with Weldon. I don't feel great about it. But the one thing that sticks in my mind is that game last year uh, at A&M, which I think was the week after they lost to um, Appalachian State, A&M didn't even play well in that game. Remember, it was like, sure, their offense isn't that bad, and it was that bad. But Miami was so bad offensively that they were worse, and they were so much worse coached that I was like, how in God's name did they not beat that A&M team at that point in the season? So that's why I'll probably go with A&M, but it would also be absolutely hilarious if A&M lost that game one game into the Petrino offensive coordinator era. So I guess I win either way. If A&M wins, cool, I pick the right side. If Florida wins, I just get to make fun of A&M, and it'll be absolutely hilarious. Um, So we'll see there. Let's head to the NFL it is the first uh, week of NFL games it is back. I did a fantasy draft on Wednesday night. I did another one the week before. Full on NFL season. We used to call this who, wake who, up who, who, who game. Did you draft? Did you go heavy on anybody? No, I was. Uh, I I took a very strong Justin Fields position at quarterback. I think. Uh, I don't know how good he'll be or the Bears will be, but if you notice this trend in fantasy now. You got to get a quarterback that runs. You rack up so many more fantasy points when dudes just have a bunch of rushing yards. So, and the uh, sack yards don't count against your rushing total in the NFL. So, like, I've kind of tried to gravitate towards that. Like, one year I had Stafford or Rodgers or whatever, and that's all great. You can have a worse quarterback who runs a ton that's a more productive fantasy player. So, I went a big on fields, and I'm a big on – Oh, who was the uh, – Jameer Gibbs, the rookie running back from the Lions. And I went huge also on 
Oh man, no, not huge, but a sleeper. I actually, uh, I picked up Jonathan Mingo, and he's starting because I was dumb enough to pick Cooper Cup before the hamstring news came out. But I think Mingo could be pretty damn good in the Panthers' offense. Those are my three guys. Yeah, I drafted Cooper Cup, and uh, so how long is he out? I don't know. He's definitely he was ruled out for the game on Sunday, and I read in the news today. Uh, that he saw a specialist in Minnesota. Now, if you're going to see a specialist halfway across the country about a hamstring injury, does that sound like a good thing to you? It does not to me. No, it doesn't. I really wish I – I mean, I was just – I mean, I have, I have Cooper Cup and AJ uh, – no, DK Metcalf at wide receiver, and I felt really comfortable doing that. And then now I'm I'm struggling. I'm looking at the waiver wire already. That's how bad my team is. I actually have literally the exact same scenario in one league. And then one league, I actually have the DK and AJ. I'm not actually, I know it sounds crazy as I just listed off three Ole Miss players. I'm not actually like a draft Ole Miss heavy guy by any stretch of the imagination, just because I don't really care enough to do that. What I am a sucker for is the wide receiver. That's like a rookie coming out of Ole Miss or a program. I covered like a program I covered or a program I watched a lot. And I fall victim to that. Like, I was all over Elijah Moore in 2020 or 2021 or whatever that was. And then it turned out, like, the Jets were just, like, to hell with this guy. And I think he's going to be a beast on the Browns. But, like, yeah. I'm a sucker you for gotta get, You got to get the right players got to get in the right team in the right situation. I mean, like, I think Corral's going to do really good with the Patriots for some strange reason. I actually kind of do, too. I think that's a nice little landing spot for him. Mac Jones sucks. That Malik Cunningham kid is not ever, I don't think, going to be like the Patriots' full-time quarterback, but he could be like an electric package guy. I'd be keep my eye on that one. So, I don't know. We'll see. My fantasy team's going to suck. I do every year. It's the most frustrating thing I compete in. <laughs> fantasy football yeah, is so I mean, I used to be so good at it, and I was just like, now I just like have lost interest and just, I mean, it just is what it is. It just pisses me off because, like, it's I have one against my high school buddies and one against my college friends, and I get like very into beating them. And like, when your team sucks, it is the most frustrating thing on earth. Oh yeah, and my thing is, is like I finished second like two years in a row, and I had the best team, and um, I had some guys sit out because of the playoffs or something like that. So I end up losing because of that, and that's just like I'm like, you know, I, that's why I kind of like the roto league and 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 baseball. Yeah, I, I could see that. It's far less frustrating. Again, I mean, I've had a league where I wasn't even very good, snuck in the playoffs, and then I had got dudes get hot for like two weeks, and all of a sudden I won the whole thing. And I was like, this is really kind of a crock of shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously, like, it's like, oh, my, my, I drafted a really good team. But like, why don't you just draft a shitty team and then just, like, make waiver wire moves when people get hurt and you've got the starters in every situation, you know? Yeah, so good luck to all you fantasy owners out there. Uh, Please keep your tempers in check. I know I won't this year. I used to call this a wake-up-a-winner game. It's a Thursday night football game. We're recording this before it starts. Um, I don't know how the audience would wake up a winner, but maybe one of us will. It is the Kansas City Chiefs against the Detroit Lions. It is the Chiefs minus four. No Travis Kelsey in this game. The Lions were one of the trendy picks of the offseason. I have no real feel for this. I get I, – I like the Lions. I like Jared Goff. I think the fact that he's, you know, he got screwed in that trade where they take Stafford and they win a Super Bowl and he's at one of the worst franchises in the history of pro sports. The fact that they turned it around was cool. But there's also this recency bias thing we do in the NFL where the Lions beat the Packers on Sunday Night Football in a game that ended up meeting nothing, and then it's like, all right, they're the trendy pick for next year. That team rarely actually lives up to expectations. I hope I'm wrong. But I also don't know what to do with this because it's no Travis Kelsey. The Chiefs are officially at that level where 
they'll probably drop a couple games early. Mahomes will get right week three, week four, and then they go on a run. So I have zero feel for this. I'll take the Lions just because, but I, I this is a stay away of all stay aways to me. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I'll go with you, Lions, with it. I mean, you know, they did – we're playing good ball towards the end of the year, but, uh, I mean, you know, how, how how true to that does that start over for the next season? So, uh, I, but I'll, I'll go with the Lions just as a – like you were saying, you know, the uh, with Kelsey out, that's a big weapon not there. And what other weapons is out there for Mahomes? Well, that's been a big thing is they they don't really seem to know who's going to be throwing the football to and the options that he does have don't seem to be any good. But I guess the counterpoint to that is he loses Tyreek Hill and then wins a Super Bowl. It's like, does it matter? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, um, so yeah. I, uh, but no, let's roll with the lines. I like the lines. Panthers-Falcons, little uh, semi-rookie bowl here. I know Desmond Ritter's not a rookie, but he's really actually just getting the range to the team and the franchise for the first time. Against Bryce Young and the Panthers, this game is in Atlanta and is the Panthers, or excuse me, it is the Falcons minus three and a half. I hate the Falcons. We've been doing this for four or five years now, and we've sworn off the Falcons midseason from being allowed to, to pick them or wager on them for like four years in a row. And I'm already to that point now because I'm so scarred. I think the Panthers, despite thinking Bryce Young actually could be pretty good, I think the Panthers might end up being one of the worst teams in the NFL. Man, I just if the Falcons by more than a field goal. They're the Falcons, so I'm gonna go Atlanta here. I think, but man, this is another one where I just eh, look. I don't even know any other way to say it. I, I wouldn't actually play this. I have no. Fear. Yeah, I think you're gonna have a big bucket of Bloody Marys or something to to watch this. I mean, uh, what a brutal game. I'm, I'm gonna go Falcons just because I guess they're the better team. Hopefully, by more than three points. I mean, that's yeah, good. So that's we'll, pretty, we'll, it's pretty, we'll, pretty uh, sensible logic right there, right? <laughs> well, and you know we're going to get screwed on this, though, because it's three in the hook, and this is somehow going to finish uh, the field goal game. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It'll, it'll be seven. The final score will be seven to three. Here's one that uh, it's one of my rules early season. The next one we have the, the Baltimore Ravens hosting the Houston Texans. This is a wild one. The Ravens are minus 10. Um, they're a 10-point favorite over the Houston Texans. C.J. Stroud, new head coach. Uh, in D'Amico Ryan's there in Houston. I fell for this in terms of it breaking my rule a couple years ago when Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, right, 13-point favorites against the Dolphins in week one. And I was like, these huge favorites early season, they never cash. And I, I swear to God, I think the Ravens won that game like 48-3 to three or something nuts. That was when the uh, the uh, the Dolphins tried like the whole tanking thing uh, and then won five games despite themselves. Neither here nor there. I just don't think Lamar Jackson, he gets a new contract. He hasn't played football in a game that counts in quite a while because the injury issues. I don't necessarily think the Texans are going to be very good, but I I, I would take Houston here just because I, I don't really see the Baltimore Ravens pummeling anybody in week one. New offensive coordinator Todd Munkin over from Georgia. This feels too fishy to me. I'm taking the Texans. That's way too many points. Yeah, I mean, especially double digits, like you were saying. Uh <laughs> I, I think I do remember that game with the, uh, the Dolphins and everything, but uh totally different uh, Baltimore Ravens team. So I'm going to take points here. And I think I've got the running back for the Texans, whoever that is. So hopefully he does do does Oh, Damian Pierce. Yeah, there we go. That sounds good. Yeah, we'll take him. He was real good that's last literally, year. That's literally how I drafted him. And I was like, yeah, let's take him. Yeah. 
But it's, I mean, it, what's interesting about the Lamar thing is, is he, they fired, finally fired the offensive coordinator, but that was, he was the guy that literally tailored an offense specifically for Lamar Jackson. So like Todd Munkin coming from Georgia, what does that actually look like? I'm fascinated to find out. I don't think things will go well enough week one to where they cover a 10 point spread. Let's go to uh, Cleveland Bengals Browns. It is in Cleveland and the Cleveland Browns with uh massage enthusiast, Deshaun Watson, are plus two and a half at home. The Browns' money line is only plus 120. To me, this is a classic week one thing. Burrow's been out with an injury. He's going to play this week. They have some new uh, pieces on the offensive line. You're thinking, oh, the Browns, they sucked with Deshaun Watson last year. I'm not falling for the trap. I'm taking the Browns here, even though I think the Bengals will end up being awesome. Remember that week one game last year where the Steelers somehow beat the uh, – the Bengals in uh, Cincinnati on that crazy ass game. I just think with these teams with veteran cores, veteran quarterbacks, they basically treat the first two games like the preseason. I'm not falling for it this time. I'm taking the Browns. Yeah. I, I, for, uh, I don't know if this is going to turn out really good or really, really bad, but I like the Browns too. I actually like the Browns a lot. Um, I, I just think uh, with just Watson starting the season at quarterback, not coming in in the middle of the season. So They've had a full, you know, training camp and everything with him. And, you know, uh, minus the massages and everything, he's actually – and he's got a lot of drama with him. But uh, he's he's a decent quarterback. And for some strange reason, I I like him a lot this week. I'm fascinated to watch the Browns. They're not really getting a lot of the hype that they got the last couple years when they had a good roster with Baker Mayfield. Watson was horrible in the five, six games he played last year. But he had not played football in over two years. And I just, to me, I refuse to believe a guy that was so electric and exceeded despite the dysfunction he's faced in Houston with Bill O'Brien and all that. There's no way that guy just sucks at football now. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm kind of fascinated to find out. I just, there's no way he's that bad. And I think now that he's kind of back playing, not being suspended for justified reasons, whatever you think of the guy, he's a hell of a quarterback. And I'm just, I'm not buying that he sucks. Yeah, how many lawsuits is he down to now? I mean, surely uh, it's been a while. If it was, it's in the 20s. Uh, it was in the 20s, I should say. I think that's all mostly behind. I don't actually even pretend to know what it is now. I would assume it's less than 20 something now. But uh, hey, if you got 20 something lawsuits on you, you probably did it. I mean, that's pretty solid. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, like the, the, that's like the Rocky movie whenever Apollo Creed was getting killed. Like, like throw in the towel, just, just like pay them off. Man, there's some disgusting ones in this week one. Here's one for you. AFC South battle, which I, I'm as a tight, loosely Titans fan, I don't know what to make of this division. Any, uh, excuse me, Jacksonville's definitely the favorite to win the division. But you got to remember, Jacksonville sucked for a lot of last year. They snuck into the playoffs because the Titans literally had no quarterbacks and had like 40-something dudes on IR at various points last year. And they do win a game with the epic Chargers collapse. But for some reason, the NFL – we do this thing where we overvalue it based on, you know, a team that got hot last year and won a playoff game. I'm not saying that uh, Jaguars suck, but they're a five-point favorite against what should be one of the worst teams in the NFL in the Colts. Anthony Richardson starting as a rookie. Um, Shane Steichen, the uh, Eagles OC, new head coach. But it's a five-point uh, favorite on the road at Indianapolis. I'll just let you lead off here. I have no idea what to make of this. I mean, uh, I drafted Jonathan Taylor. It shows you how bad I am at, at fantasy football. So not only do I have Cooper Cup, I've got Jonathan Taylor. So <laughs> I probably probably need to throw in the towel on the, the ribcage uh, fantasy football league. Uh, 
or I could probably hire a gun. You know, that's probably what I need to do is hire a gun. Um, there should be a there. There should be rules against that to where I can hire an agent to uh, to draft my team. So um, now, I'm, you know, uh, the Indianapolis situation is wild, man. That's just uh, over my head. Uh, I, I think Jacksonville should roll here uh, at least by two touchdowns. A lot of high praise uh, of Anthony Richardson coming into the year, but it's one of those classic cases. Like this guy, I watched him in college. He sucked, but the NFL teams always talk themselves into these guys. And I'm just not sure how realistic a lot of that is. But, man, five points is tough. I'll go Jacksonville conservatively, but I wouldn't touch this game with a 10-foot pole, which I feel like is going to be a theme to where people listening are going to be like, really, you guys went through every NFL game and you're not playing any of them? But, man, there's some gross ones. And it doesn't get any better here. It's uh, Minnesota at home against Tampa Bay. Minnesota's minus, minus five and a half here. Tampa Bay still has a pretty good and expensive roster that if they things suck, watch them as sellers to the trade deadline. Um, but Baker Mayfield's their quarterback. So it's Baker Mayfield with Kyle Trask behind him. It's Kirk Cousins who just – that anytime Kirk Cousins is involved in anything, you should probably just stay away from it. But it's Kirk Cousins in the noon slate. He's pretty good. Kirk Cousins in primetime, not very good. Minus five and a half, the Vikings are five and a half point favorites over the Buccaneers. I'll kick it to you first again. Again, I have no I, no clue what what to make of this, but uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to go chalk here and just go Vikings. I mean, surely surely they're a touchdown uh, better than these clowns. I mean, uh, that's just my – that's just going out on a limb because I just don't – I don't uh, – who's – Baker Mayfield? Oh, you can't – can't bet on Baker Mayfield. I'm uh, – I'm taking Minnesota. They should win by two touchdowns. Easy. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take Mayfield. This will be the classic overreaction where it's like, oh, Bucks, are they actually any good? No, they're not, but they had a weird, weird week one result. I'll take the Bucks here. But uh, again, if I was actually playing this, no shot. And then it doesn't get any better here with my own team. Saints, Titans, Saints minus three, uh, three point favorites in New Orleans, uh, 12 o'clock game. I think this, I'm, I'm so conflicted by the Saints. I'd be curious to get your opinion. I'm a big Derek Carr believer. Um, two years ago, he was really good. I don't know what happened last year because they added Devontae Adams, new coach, things went to hell. I like Derek Carr. I think he's a good quarterback. I think your head coach is a doofus, whereas I think my head coach, the, uh, Mike Vrabel with the Titans, is a great head coach, but I don't believe in Tannehill, and I don't know what to make of this team that literally had no receivers I'd heard of until they signed DeAndre Hopkins, which helps. I'm going to take the Saints here, minus three, I think. I think the uh, Titans are still probably going to be figuring some things out, a lot of new faces. I'm going to go with the Saints here, but my one hesitation would be the fact that I just think Dennis Allen's an idiot. That Saints team was not good last year, but they were, they shouldn't have been that bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, they could uh, – uh, I do like Derek Carr a lot, uh, and I think that he'll do good in New Orleans, and I think it's a great fit. Um, but why wouldn't just Tennessee just – Run the ball 35, 40 times with Derrick Henry. I mean, uh, I mean, can't you win ball games like that? I think they're certainly going to try to, but you have a very expensive quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, and this is probably Tannehill's last year. Why? Why? Why, why is he? Why? Why did they pay that guy? I mean, he I'm went to an AFC through. Championship game. That's why. Again, overreaction. Remember, they made the AFC title game and uh, played in. Uh, Was that his first year that he got? traded or he got picked up or yeah because he remember he was a backup the team sucked Mariota got hurt or benched I can't remember which one in a game at Denver 
And Tannehill took over and they made the playoffs and then won two playoff games and they overreacted and paid him a ton of money. That's why. I mean, the next year they were the number one overall seed and lost to a rookie named Joe Burrow at home where Burrow was sacked like nine times and the Titans lost the game as the number one overall seed in the AFC. I I mean, is that just bad franchise luck or jeez? It's just one of those things where it's like, all right, this guy made the AFC title game. We got to do it. It's like, well, Blake Bortles made an AFC title game. Mark Sanchez made two. Like, do you have to do it? Do you actually have to? So I'm taking the Saints here. What are you going? Yeah, I, won't roll, I think we're all the Saints. I mean, I, I just I like Derek Carr, and I, I think it's it's a good fit. So um, I just uh, wish Dennis Allen wasn't the coach. I, I just can't agree with you anymore on that. Uh, I wish I was actually going fishing at Venice on a Saturday and then uh, going to the Saints game on Sunday. That, that sounds like the dream. Oh, yeah. We have uh, several of my – so Weldon's going to the game, so he's out for the Sunday show. I, t- I asked Borky to do it. He's going to the Saints game. Chase might be going to the Saints game, but told me he'd do the Sunday show in the morning. So the Saints are just ruining the podcast content here. But, well, uh, if, you need, if you need a uh, fill-in on Sunday, uh, I'll be do- uh, be dog-sitting uh, uh, here in Oxford. I'll be glad to fill in for you. We'll just patch you in on a three-way. You, the dog, or four-way. You, the dog, me, and Chase just hashing it out over the Ole Miss game. Not another great line here. I swear to God, at a certain point, I will have a lean here. There's a couple at the end of that, Will. But uh, the San Francisco 49ers are two-and-a-half-point favorites on the road at the Pittsburgh Steelers for week one. Brock Purdy at quarterback for the uh, 49ers. You got Sam Darnold kind of lurking as the backup. I think San Francisco has one of the best rosters in the NFL. I liked Purdy last year, but, man, Mr. Irrelevant, seventh round pick. I can't fully buy in yet. And the Steelers just always do this in week one. They beat a team that's better than them, even though I'm not sure how good they are. This is a gross one, but I'm going to hold my nose and take the 49ers because I just think they're that good. I'm going to go with the Steelers at home. Uh, That's probably the smarter play. This has got to be the time, the time, um, the uh, the time change uh, angle that I used to do like 15 years ago. Another disgusting one here. Washington Commanders against the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray, not healthy. They claim that he will play at some point this year. I'm skeptical of that based on reading kind of the tea leaves of some things that people have kind of hinted at but not written directly. What would you guess this? This is Sam Howell at quarterback against uh, – who would that be? Who's the backup quarterback for – Cole McCoy, right? No, but they cut him. Um, oh, God, who is it? Um. It's uh Joe Josh Dobbs, the guy who started the the one of the last games of the year for the Titans because they were so desperate on quarterbacks. It is Sam Howell versus Josh Dobbs. What would you just take a guess? What would you think this line is? It's in Washington, so it's the Commanders at home against the Cardinals. What would you just take a guess at what this line is? Seven and a half. It's seven. I would have said like three. So maybe I'm just an idiot. That was just ridiculously high to me. People seem to be high on the commanders. I I just can't do it. I don't care who's starting at quarterback for the Cardinals. Uh, I'm just not, I'm not sold enough to take the commanders with Sam Howell at quarterback as a touchdown favorite against anybody. I, I'm going to have to take Arizona here. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree. I'm going to take the Washington football team. They're going to bring it back. They're going to can the commanders. I hope bring they back, do. Bring, bring back the football team. So we'll keep, again, last one, and then we get to some ones I have a feel on. I don't have a feel for this one. Bears-Packers in Chicago. First Bears-Packers game in 
a long time that Aaron Rodgers has not participated in. You know, he does the whole thing with the Bears. I own you. I mean, rightfully so, whatever you think of the guy, he did. This is the Bears favored by one in Chicago against the Packers. I love the Bears. I mean, I, you, you, I mean, like uh, you you nailed the. Uh, I think you nailed the sleeper quarterback. I mean, what when did you get him? Uh, what when did you get third Bill? round? Third or fourth? Third round. Wow. Gosh, I'm I, uh, I'm trying to think whenever he went. I mean, I think that's. I mean, if you could have. I mean, it's just so hard to like lock in on a good like draft pick on quarterback and wide receiver that's going to like put up points. Other than like Justin Jefferson or somebody like that, I think Fields is going to do really good this year. I, I like the Bears to roll. I think I do too. I the for whatever reason the Packers are getting a lot of decent like hey watch out for them they might not be as bad as you think preseason height but the last time Jordan Love actually played a football game that counted everyone hated him and rightfully so he looked terrible like they were like ah oh, we're out on this guy but apparently now that well, Rodgers uh, is gone he's now good Green Bay's backup who's Green Bay's backup I'm just kind of curious the backup to Jordan Love is I should probably know this off the top of my head uh it'd be got Sean Clifford the old Penn State quarterback that's not great oh well. Sheesh. I'm going Bears to roll. I actually do have yeah. a chance in this one. I'd change my mind mid or I'd change my mind. <laughs> I'm actually going to say the L word. I, I love the Bears and, and the L word. Okay. So we'll uh, hell with it. We'll lock it. That's our uh, one of our locks of the week. Broncos Raiders in Denver. Broncos are three and a half point favorites. I think I have a lean on this. I don't think Russell Wilson is bad as a quarterback as he showed last year. That was one of the worst coaching jobs, as Sean Payton himself put it in NFL history. He took some flack for that. But they are three-and-a-half-point favorites at home against the Raiders. The Raiders have Jimmy Garoppolo, who's apparently not that healthy, and a roster of a bunch of misfits with Devontae Adams mixed in. This could be the one that I feel really good about, and then it comes back to bite me. But uh, I love the Broncos here because I'm out on Josh McDaniel and anything the Raiders are doing. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you. The Broncos are gonna turn it around this year, especially after a bad year last year. It's just maybe it's my dumb brain, but you put Sean Payton and Russell Wilson with good receivers, right? Jerry Judy, Corton Sutton, decent defense. They they can't be that bad unless Russ is really that bad. But they also, you know, they traded for Jarrett Stidham, I think. Maybe they just picked him up in free agency, but they're paying Jarrett Stidham five million bucks a year to be a backup quarterback, which makes you think maybe they don't love Russell Wilson, but I don't know. I just I, I'm gonna have to believe. Who, who's the starting running back to believe the, that Russell Wilson is just all of a sudden horrible in his mid thirties? Who's the starting running back for the uh, Broncos? Uh, it is. I, I drafted Sammy Perron, and I don't think he's the starter. No, it's Javante Williams. Oh. but uh, Perron is the uh, backup for sure. Okay, hopefully I get some touches, at least one touch. I think he probably Gosh, will. man, I'm so bad at fantasy baseball. I mean, bad, uh, football is ridiculous. <laughs> it's like depressing, man, like you were talking about. You're like, you want like you want to beat your friends. You're like, oh, man, like, I'm going to have the best team ever. And then you, like, look at your team, you're like, oh, my God. That's yeah, like, terrible. Why, why in God's name did I do that? Here's another one. We're going to go back to that. I have no feel for this train. This is an awesome game, though, to watch just from a sheer, like, uh, intrigue standpoint. The Los Angeles Chargers, they are hosting the Miami Dolphins. That doesn't really mean anything because if you'll recall, the Chargers have no fans and they get absolutely basically, I mean, they're doing silent counts in their own home stadium. Chargers minus three against the Dolphins. A lot of hype around Tua. They're good when he's healthy. Don't get me wrong. They have one of the best 
uh, offensive talent, like talent wise, they're one of the best offenses in the NFL. They're three point underdogs to Justin Herbert and the Chargers. I'm going to go Miami here, and I actually think I feel okay about it as I contradict myself again. I get it. Herbert's awesome. They hired a new offensive coordinator, but guess who's still the head coach? That's right. Big dumb doofus Brandon Staley, who orchestrated one of the worst playoff collapses in NFL history. He has that weird fourth down thing. They charger, they charger games away. I think that's becoming a term now. I'm just not taking them as a favorite until they have a different head coach. I don't think offensive coordinators change it. What do you think? No, I'm gonna I'm just gonna stick with my um time time rule. So I'm gonna take the chargers for some strange reason. That's right. Time zone rule. East coast to West coast. Okay. So you're going chargers. I'm going dolphins. I just think, you know, September dolphins fully healthy, probably pretty good. What happens when Tua misses games? Well, you know, what happens after that? I have no idea. So you're going chargers. I'm going dolphins. Here's an interesting one in the late slate rematch of the old uh, 2018 Super Bowl. Patriots Eagles. They're honoring Tom Brady at halftime of this game. I think I read Patriots are a four-point underdog at home against the Philadelphia Eagles. Ooh, I, 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 well, yeah, man, that's that's a big number. I'm gonna go against my better judgment, the Pats. I didn't buy into the Eagles for too much of last season; and it cost me dearly. I think the Eagles end up being like a 12-13 win team and win their division. But man, week one, this feels like Belichick. Belichick somehow wins this game, or maybe they don't at all, and they're a disaster. I don't know. I'm going to go Pats here. I just – I can't quit the whole Belichick thing. They're a four-point underdog at home week one. I'll take it. If this is week seven, I'm hammering the Eagles. All right, I'm going to take the Eagles. I think that's probably the smarter side of it. I mean, Mac Jones. I mean – have Zeke. How about Zeke as a New England Patriot? That's going to be weird to look at. Damn. There's a lot – I mean, it's so – there's going to be a lot of weird uh, moves this year. I, I – I, I, I think yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. I think, like, the Patriots might get it done, but I just want to take the better team. Man, these last three games are rough. If there's anyone out there listening, on Sunday night, please, if you're if you're into the degenerate life, please tell me how you did because I am just smelling carnage all over the place with these week one lines in the NFL. And I can't remember being as disgusted by as many of them as I had this year. Here's a good one for you. Seahawks-Rams, the last late game that we'll take, it is Seahawks minus five in Seattle, but no Cooper Cup, which is not good. But you still have Matthew Stafford. You still have Aaron Donald. You still have Sean McVay. Five-point underdogs to a Seattle team that I think was overhyped last year. I'll let you kick this first, but, man, that's a lot of points. I'm going to go Seattle at home. I mean, like, why not? I mean, there's a there's a five-foot guy in Las Vegas that does these lines and he does them for a living, so – uh, if he's got a more than, favor than more than a field goal, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Seahawks at home. I'm gonna go Rams. I think they end up sucking, but man, week one fully healthy before Stafford gets hurt, and then they end up just falling apart. I think that's too many points. I'm gonna go Rams, but again, that's an absolute stay away for me. Sunday night football, Giants Cowboys. It is the Giants plus three and a half at home against the Cowboys. Two playoff teams last year. Giants win a game, Cowboys win a game, they get eliminated the next week. If this was like minus two and a half, I'm all over the Cowboys, but man, they're making you give more than a field goal. I'm not sure I've bought into the Giants yet. I think that may be one of those fluke years. So I am going to go, I'm going Cowboys here. I'll just ride it. I don't really love the Cowboys. I'm not really a Dak believer, 
But this is more of an anti-Daniel Jones position. This is a prove-it Daniel Jones position for me. So I am uh, I'm going Cowboys here. What say you? Uh, I'm going to go Cowboys too. I think that trade um, for Lance Young or whatever his name is. or um, Trey Lance? I, I mean, yeah, what, yeah, whatever. I, I think that's a big deal for Dak, and I think, you know, you'll see a different Dak. And uh, sometimes it takes um, uh, some – competitiveness and you know some somebody in the quarterback room that can uh take over qb1 you know you look at jackson dart um look how much better he's you know is you know whenever there's a couple of decent quarterbacks behind him so uh i say i say Dak uh goes off uh on uh i like i like uh dallas a lot terrific monday night game we have again not sure how confident i am aaron Rodgers, new york jets they are hosting josh allen and the buffalo bills the Jets are two and a half point underdogs at home. So it is Buffalo minus two and a half on the road in New York. I guess it's technically New Jersey, whatever. Man, this is an interesting one. Divisional matchup week one. I think the smart plays the Bills, but I'm going to be tempted to take the Jets. What what uh, what say you before I make an official play here? Yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna take the Buffalo Bills. They're the better team. The better. I mean, I think Josh Allen's a better quarterback than uh, Aaron Rodgers. I just. I, I'm not. I'm not gonna get and believe any of this hype with uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. So I'm. I'm gonna take Buffalo. We we'll take the better team. You convinced me. I'm going Bills too. Um, they're the better football team. I just the way I look at it. I think we talked about this when we did the divisional odds podcast. If you, if you made me predict. What's a more likely outcome? This Rodgers at 40 years old or however old he is with the Jets turns out awesome or they lose a couple games early, he starts doing Aaron Rodgers things and it becomes a very, you know, typical Jets nightmare. What's more likely? I think the Jets nightmare. I mean, you know, like um, – I, I don't know. I, I'm just not an Aaron Rodgers fan for some strange reason. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I just well, – Neither is his immediate it. family, so you got company there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just, uh, <laughs> I, I just, I just don't see it. And I mean, you know, in the in the Jets, you know, had to make this move to, you know, because they don't have you don't have to win 12, 11 games in that division to win the division. So um, I can see him winning eight to nine, ten game, nine games, but um, I don't know. I just I, I like Buffalo. They just I feel like they're a better team and uh, the better quarterback. This has been week one of Fresh Cuts. It's good to be back in the saddle, picking games and losing consistently. I appreciate the time, my man. Check them out, LB's University Avenue in Oxford. We'll watch you next week, dude. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Thanks to Greg. Thanks for listening to my rambling solo thoughts at the top. We'll be back with Chase Parham on Sunday and Weldon on Monday. Weldon had a little bit of a schedule conflict, so we'll get him in the mix in the second part of the week. But your typical Sunday show with the reaction, come join us, come hang out. Appreciate you listening as always. Have a wonderful weekend, and if you're going to the game, Be safe. Don't do anything I wouldn't do or do. I can't tell you what to do. Have a good weekend.